up, everybody? Welcome to episode 77 of the 2QB Experience. My name is Greg Smith. I'm your host, and on the line with me, a special guest. His second time talking to me on Skype, but uh, only <laughs> the first time it's actually been recorded. It's Danny Kelly, at uh, Danny B. Kelly on Twitter. He's from TheRinger.com. Danny, welcome back to the show. Welcome. <laughs> to, I, I don't know how to say this. Cause... Thank you. Thank you. We practiced the first one around, you know, got got that under our belts. Now I think we have a really, really good rapport and chemistry, and we're ready to knock this one out of the park. I hope so, man. I mean, a couple weeks ago we tried to record a podcast with some, albeit a little bit late, draft reactions. Now the draft reactions are going to be very, very late. Um, but I, due to my own error in updating Skype before recording the show, uh, I lost Danny's audio, and that podcast never <laughs> saw the light of day so uh, this is a lesson to all you burgeoning podcasters out there make sure you test your recording before you begin (laughs) and uh i don't know anyway let's get to football because that's there's not a whole lot to to rehash there we're probably going to talk about some of the same stuff but i I was just talking to you before the show i don't honestly remember what what we talked about exactly (laughs) so i think we'll be okay yeah it's all good well uh even if we have the same conversations it's neither of us really remember it so it's uh it's gonna be natural let's let's do it there you go well um Actually, today at TheRinger.com, you just published an article about the NFL contract year All-Stars, and that was headlined by David Johnson. And when you play fantasy, is that something that you might actively try to draft those types of players, like guys going into a contract year? Do you buy that stuff? Do you believe in it? You know, it's like part of me does, and and, but I've also I was actually just reading about it yesterday. I saw an article on Football Outsiders that kind of debunked the idea that Mm -hmm. that that players play better in in, you know their contract year or whatever. But I don't know. It's one of those um, you know psychological things, and and I suppose it could help some guys who are ultra motivated to kind of get paid or whatever. But uh, I don't. To be honest with you, I don't really pay attention to it with fantasy. Not not much, at least. Yeah, I'm generally not a believer either. I think if anything, maybe the the kind of middling players, the guys who aren't quite as good, might take that extra focus. But the guys who are already really good, like David Johnson, like I don't think that him <laughs> being in a contract year specifically would like impact how I evaluate him relative to like Le'Veon Bell or Todd Gurley or Ezekiel right. Elliott. I mean, these guys are all elite. I think you you're just picking nits and and maybe contract year or something that might make you want to take David Johnson over say Ezekiel Elliott. But I mean, I'd rather just take him because I, I don't know, because I like him more as a player. If, if that's the right reasoning, what do you think? I mean, am yeah. I off base here? No, I mean, I think that's right on. I, the only thing I guess you could worry about is are any of these guys going to hold out? I guess because Odell Beckham potentially, you know, has hinted at it. And then, um, like, Le'Veon Bell's contract situation is definitely interesting with Pittsburgh. So I don't know if that's going to be, be a factor. I don't even know, honestly, if missing a couple games at the beginning of the year is a big enough reason to, to not draft those guys anyway, really. Right. I mean, I think in some cases, I mean, you could make this argument about Mark Ingram, too, missing four games to a suspension. Or, or might be better. We, yeah, it might be better. It might keep him fresher, <laughs> like make him last a little bit longer into the season, be a little less dinged up for the fantasy playoffs, assuming that you can yep. make it there. So. I, I don't know. I, I think you're you're splitting hairs with a lot of this stuff, and Absolutely. it's 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 fun. But you should definitely check out the article. I, I mean, I didn't know that some of those guys in the piece were in their contract years, so that'll be fun to to keep track of. Um, we we talked about you know how we tried to respond or rea- react to the draft. Um, I'm curious in terms of what's happened since the draft. We've had a long time now, basically a month. Which of your initial reactions since that time has changed the most? Like, was there anything that you saw 
or that you kind of reacted to from the draft right out of the gate that maybe you've softened on or that you've taken to like an even higher level? Like, yeah, you've become like a little more reinforced in your belief based upon something that occurred at that time. Well, and actually, we talked about this a little bit last time. And and for those of you that didn't hear it, which is all of you, um, (laughs) except for us, you kind of talked me into the whole Mayfield starting this year thing. And so now I'm kind of on that 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 boat a little bit more like when I right after the draft, I was kind of just convinced that the Browns would go with Tyrod Taylor this year and kind of just play him, go with it. And that's their plan. And then we talked about, I kind of feel like now maybe Mayfield has a pretty good shot to start this year. I don't know necessarily at the like game one or whatever, but um, I, I, I'm just starting to feel like maybe that's something that's a little bit more realistic. Have you changed your thinking on that too? No, I mean, I think the track record of QBs that go number one overall is is pretty strong. Like, there's just incentive to get those guys into the game. Like, there's just a lot of pressure on that organization to see what they have in Mayfield. And, mm-hmm. I mean, they signed Tyrod for a reason in theory. Um, so I, I agree. Like, he'll probably start game one. But I don't I don't know if it's going to be very long before we see Mayfield. And I, if I had to draft them right now, I would definitely draft Mayfield ahead of Tyrod Taylor. I, I, I'm kind of avoiding most of those incumbent guys ahead of the rookies altogether. Like, I don't really want to draft Sam Bradford in my two QB leagues. I don't want to draft Tyrod Taylor. Like, there's value there if you can get them late enough. Like, if, right. if Mayfield's already gone, I'm fine, you know, throwing a dart at Tyrod. But, yeah, it's it's tough. I, I think that you're right. I think Mayfield is probably going to start for the majority of the Browns games this year. But I don't know. I mean, we saw what happened with Alex Smith and Patrick Mahomes last year. That's kind of mm. the, the other That's side. Point. That's the other yeah. blueprint, right? So, are the what are the Browns going to do? I mean, flip a coin. Who knows? I mean, <laughs> has any did any other like information or thought process cause you to kind of become stronger in this opinion that Mayfield is going to start sooner rather than later? I don't think anything in uh, you know specific has really kind of happened, but I just you know looking at Hugh Jackson and uh, their offensive coordinator, whose name is who is escaping me, Todd Haley. You know those two guys. Um, they really don't strike me as super patient types. And so, um, I mean, we saw last year what Jackson did, what, you know, starting his quarterback and, and benching him and then, you know, Kaiser and then going back to him and benching him again or whatever. And it was just like, I don't have a lot of faith that he's ready to like stick this out and do the whole year with Tyrod Taylor, especially if he has a bad game, if Taylor has a bad game or two. Uh, I could see them start to get that itchy, you know, trigger finger to to put Mayfield in and, and just go with it. And I think they have a pretty talented and significantly upgraded, you know, passing attack or, or passing weapons and in, in, on their offense and their offensive line is pretty solid and the run game should be pretty solid. So I don't know, man. I think it, it, it that that is definitely an interesting one to me. The other one, actually, that same same sort of scenario, but it has changed my thinking over the last couple of weeks is. Sounds like Teddy Bridgewater's having a really good camp. And so I wonder what happens with the Jets and Bridgewater and whether they go with Darnold from the you know from the start or McCown or maybe Bridgewater's kinda like the dark horse to come in and and start before both of those guys. What do you think on that? That stuff reeks to me of of coach speak, them trying to maybe trade one of their QBs, whether it's I mean and it <laughs> could be true, any of yeah. them. It could it could be Bridgewater, it could be Darnold, it could be McCown. Like I just I don't and this is part of the problem with this time of year right now. It's it's generally a pretty dead time for NFL news. So, like, it's really hard to sift through which of these news blurbs are fluff, which ones of them are, are actually more meaningful. 
I I kind of that stuff about Bridgewater is going in one ear out the other for me. I don't really buy it yet. I <laughs> I don't think they would have drafted Darnold. I mean, may, maybe they would have, but and we talked about this last time that Darnold maybe is is one of the safer bets to sit for a rookie early on, even though they drafted him earlier, just because he's a little bit younger than these other guys. He mm-hmm. was very turnover prone in college and, and maybe there is an argument for McCown and Bridgewater to get the first and maybe second shots in that offense. Yeah. But it's, it's too early. I mean, how, how do you, how do you filter through that stuff when you, when you're looking at news that's yeah. coming out now, like what, what do you look for in terms of finding meaning and maybe dismissing the rest of it? Like, are there any indicators for you? Like based upon who's saying it, when it's said anything along those lines? Yeah. Generally I try and, you know, I usually, defer and trust some of the better uh b reporters that i you know know and trust in terms of what they're saying over definitely over what a coach is saying because i think you're right at this time of year coaches say everything and anything and it's basically just a lot of it is just blowing sunshine up your ass basically just get you excited about the season everything is positive you know if if it is negative it's basically just like to to you know break you down and build you up or whatever and it's all it's all very specific coach stuff so i really don't pay attention to it um and i i generally just go with what i think you know the beat reporters have heard and and what they're evaluating what they're seeing in in those ota practices so yeah generally you know try and trust what the what the beat reporters are saying because I guess that's really the only insight you can have at this point because, you know, we're not there's no games. You can't really trust what the coaches are saying. And so I think that's basically the only way to go about it. So one of the things I think you can trust to some extent is just the the actual moves that the teams are making. Right. We saw when they drafted certain players, like what draft capital they invested in them, which free agents they signed, how much they paid those free agents. I think those things are generally a little bit more meaningful Right. And a couple of weeks ago on The Ringer, you made the case for Des Bryant to possibly go to Seattle, among some other yeah. potential destinations. But instead, your Seahawks just signed Brandon Marshall to a one-year deal. And there, there's no guarantee that the deal's going to stick and that he's not going to get cut. But do you think that he can stick on this roster and contribute during the season? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm so torn about this one because I'm kind of just a Marshall fan. I just really like him, and I've always liked him. I just think he's an, a very interesting player, a very good player, like interesting person and a very good player. Um, and so I definitely want him to stick on the CTX, and I think he actually is like you know kind of what they need in terms of he's a big-bodied, mm-hmm. experienced player. And, and if you look at, at their roster, like past Doug Baldwin and Tyre Lockett, I mean, I guess you could say Jerron Brown has some experience, but he's just new to the team. And so um, – you know, past those two guys, it's a very, very inexperienced group. <clears throat> and so I think having a guy like Marshall, who's been there, he's played in a whole bunch of games. He's, ha- you know, he's caught like, he's he's caught, or he's had like a thousand yards on six different teams, I think I want to say. And so, or at least from six different quarterbacks. I can't remember what the stat yeah, is. I don't think but, he's been on six teams, but six QB sounds right. And I mean, all that, it's like so many different QBs. So he's got that kind of that breadth of experience from a whole bunch of different types of quarterbacks. And he's always produced, well, not always, not the last two years, but, um, but yeah, I think he's got some potential there. And so if he's healthy, you know, you talked about today, he was at at OTAs. He was talking about, um, how he had a issue with his toe that he got fixed. I I know that turf toe is freaking terrible injury for, for, you know, guys that need to run fast and, and cut and stuff like that. And so, um, that could have affected his game. He obviously had an ankle injury that ended his season. And so 
assuming he gets healthy and, he, and he's at 100 percent you know obviously he's a little bit older i think he's 34 now um but i do think that russell and this is the same reason that i was saying that des bryant makes a little bit of sense for the seahawks is that russell wilson is always thrown with anticipation he's a good you know anticipation back shoulder um, throw it up there and kind of let your guy come down with it type of quarterback. I think that's exactly what Brandon Marshall needs. That's what, that's why I thought Des Bryant could make some sense. And so, um, you know, and, and I think losing Jimmy Graham definitely changes the dynamic of their offense in terms of inside the 10 yard line. Like who are they going to have who defenses fear other than Doug Baldwin, who they could bracket, right? Mm-hmm. So who are they going to have that defenses can fear inside the 10-yard line? I think Marshall, even if he ne- doesn't necessarily produce a bunch of touchdowns, just having him there and, and a guy that defenses actually need to account for as a, as a big jump ball type guy, I think that could kind of help them. And so we'll see. I mean, obviously he has to make the roster first and he has to show up and, and have chemistry with Russell Wilson and, and kind of like, you know, make his way onto the team and all that, but um, it's a really low risk. It's like one year, two million. It's a low risk, potentially high upside, not high, but like medium upside, you know, deal. And I think there, it's kind of a win-win for the Seahawks. It doesn't really put them in any real risk at this point. Yeah, I agree that he's definitely the type of player that Seattle was missing, you know, kind of in that Jimmy Graham mold like you talked about. And I, th- I think that if he's healthy and motivated, he would seem to fit well alongside Baldwin working from the slot and Tyler Lockett lifting lids off of the defense. But, I mean, my main worry with him, and this is kind of an indictment of maybe Seattle in general, in in terms of how they translate to fantasy scoring, is Mm -hmm. that Marshall signing might seem to amplify the signal that Seattle wants to get back to running the ball. Like in recent seasons, Marshall has been one of the league's better run blockers from the wide receiver position. I mean, he's always been very good. I mean, he's a big body guy. He actually is like a better tight end than Jimmy Graham in that regard. <laughs> That's which, a good point. Which yeah. is kind of crazy. Like, I, I think that he could fit in well there. It's just, yeah, it's really going to come down to health and motivation and age and if, if he can kind of yeah. still get it done. Do, do you think there, and this is something that like, I think that it's interesting how we're starting to see more bleeding between uh, that, that edge between wide receiver and tight end. Like Jimmy Graham, Brandon Marshall, Jordy Nelson, Des Bryant, these guys aren't all that different. D- do you see that being like a trend that's going to continue or develop further, like as, as we yeah. s- see the NFL kind of, I don't know, evolve? Yeah, I mean, I think that's another thing is um, we've seen older receivers start moving into the slot a little bit. And, and um, like, obviously, Larry Fitzgerald is probably one of the mm-hmm. better examples. Anquan Bolden is another example. Um, guys that understand how to use their body to fend off defenders and kind of like you know it's the old cliche at this point but like box out a defender uh i think that definitely kind of matters as you get older you're not quite as fast you can't beat a guy down the sideline and that space is what allows you to kind of operate in there i saw we we saw uh marcus colson do that for years with the saints and so he kind of i think you know i don't know if he was the first guy to do it necessarily but he kind of first guy that came to my mind and then we've seen other guys kind of take to that i think it's definitely a fun an interesting sort of evolution on on how well number one slot receivers in general are just much more prevalent these days than they used to be and so um we're seeing that three three receiver set is becoming kind of ubiquitous it's the the base set in the in the nfl now and so yeah i think it's it's definitely giving some guys a chance to uh, extend their careers and have more production kind of like you know later in their careers and i think that's definitely interesting especially the guys with some some mass to them right so 
that's definitely something to keep in mind with Marshall. Maybe he will kind of line up in the slot too and let Doug Baldwin move around a lot too. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going into it with, Oh, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not super optimistic about it, but I'm hopeful that he'll kind of carve out a role for himself. I don't expect him to, you know, score 10 touchdowns this year, like Jimmy Graham did last year. But I do think he is, like I said, he's, he's kind of the, the type of player that they're missing. And, and if he can get back to how he was in the red zone, specifically inside the 10 yard line, um, like in 2014, 15, he, he's been pretty bad 2016, 17. So there's definitely no guarantee that's going to happen, but um, you know, assuming he's healthy, there's a chance there. Yeah. I think <laughs> it's funny you brought up Marcus Colston because I'm pretty sure when he came into the league, at least uh, on Yahoo fantasy, he actually had wide receiver and tight end eligibility because they didn't know oh, what really? to do with him coming out of college. <laughs> he was like a cheat code that first year because you could plug him in. He was essentially a wide receiver that you could play at tight end and it was pretty yeah. amazing. But yeah. Um, the, the other thing that I find kind of interesting in terms of the, the guys you mentioned is a lot of them played with really good quarterbacks. Like we're talking about Drew Brees targets, Aaron Rodgers targets, right. and now Russell Wilson targets. There might be something to that too, because you saw what happened to Jordy Nelson after Rodgers got hurt last year. Brett Hundley just couldn't do anything with him. Like yeah. these guys who are a little bit slower and rely on that, you know, boxing out and really good ball placement, they need the good QB to, to kind of put it in those spots. And that's maybe something that you should watch for if you're trying to identify that type of player for fantasy purposes. Um, let, let's talk about Marcus Mariota because I, I'm very interested to see what he does in 2018. I've made some pretty bold predictions from him in writing <laughs> and then in a video that's going to go up at player profiler with their draft kit a little later in the summer here. But what do you expect from him in 2018? And I, I want to frame it with some general over unders because gambling is now legal. Apparently um, over under it. over under 24 passing touchdowns for Marcus <clears throat> Mariota this year. Oh man. That's a big jump. Um, well, he had 26 in 15 games two years ago. And, yep, yep. like, for context, the average passing touchdown total per team last year was 23.2. So this is, I mean, we're, we're asking, is he going to throw an average number of touchdowns for an NFL starter? I think that I would go with the over. Actually, I'm looking. Man, his year last year was insanely bad. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what happened. Obviously, there in the injury was a factor, and obviously the Malarkey offense was a huge factor. I would kind of, I don't know if I was on necessarily driving the bandwagon against that because I, I know a lot of people hated the Malarkey offense, but I definitely wrote a couple articles last year about how, you know, the the Titans need their offense to come into the 21st century, and that's exactly what they did, and so that's super exciting getting Matt Villafleur, who has, you know, they're not necessarily. I don't know if they're going to necessarily run like a spread offense because. LaFleur came up under Shanahan, who I don't think he runs necessarily a spread. He kind of does a little bit of everything, and, and they they base their offense on the run, too. Um, but I do think that the schemes and, and the style and the, the concepts are going to be much, much better for, for Mariota. And it feels like last year he got into his own head. Like, if you watch some of the throws he was making, it was just like, what the <laughs> hell did he see? Literally, he's just throwing it right to a right to a defender, and there was, you know, you could talk about all the different things, the injuries, and all that, the surrounding cast, and the style of play, and the and the scheme. But he literally was just throwing it directly to the defenders, and so there's a little bit of you know like worry that he he broke himself or whatever. But I do think that 
you know, looking at his numbers in 2015, 2016, that's a definitely a good over under. I think 20, he hit 26 in, in 2016, and his touchdown percentage that year was 5.8. His touchdown percentage last year was 2.9. That's got to be like one of the lowest in the NFL, I would bet, um, from a regular starter. So I think that's, he, you know, like based on that, he's a definitely a positive regression candidate. And I like, I, I, I like their weapons on offense. I think, um, you know, there's some question marks on like who's going to be kind of the lead dog in the receiver group, but I do think he is a good player and I, I would expect, you know, pretty good solid improvement from him. And, and you know, just, just going to LaFleur is going to help a ton too. Yeah, I don't know if it was a bandwagon against Exotic Smash Mouth last year. It felt more like a <laughs> like a teacup, you know, one of those rides where like everyone has their hand on the wheel and we keep spinning it all in the same direction, <laughs> yeah. and we just keep getting more dizzy and Good more metaphor. dizzy and more nauseous. And yeah, yeah, I, it, no, I certainly wasn't leading that, but I, I remember being pretty vocal about. It. I'm like, man, they just need to freaking get a guy in here that that. I mean, he was like the best spread quarterback in college football, you know, and, and they decided to try and make him into like something he's totally not. So, uh, yeah, it didn't make any sense to me. No, me neither. Um, all right. So let's talk about the other thing that we really care about from a quarterback like Mariota in fantasy, and that's rushing production over under 400 rushing yards. And I'll give you a little context. He's averaged 304 yards per season, but he's never played a full 16 games. His career high of 349 rushing yards in 2016 if you were to extrapolate that or prorate it to the 16-game season, it would have been 372 yards. And only four quarterbacks topped 400 rushing yards last year, and only two did so in 2016. So 400 is definitely a tough number to hit. But again, based upon all this, all these factors that we're saying should improve his outlook, do we think that he can you know, eclipse that 400 rushing yard mark? So am I doing the math right that that's 23 yards per game? Sounds about right. Yeah, I think he could do that. I, that feels like definitely not out of the range of possibility, especially if they decide to kind of use him on on read options and stuff like that, like a couple times a game. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see him doing that just as a scrambler, really. And, and so I would say over. I think that there's a solid chance he could do that. I mean, that's you know, again, his his athleticism is a big strength in his game, and I think that the way that they're gonna um, run their offense is is gonna give him some chances to move around, and so. I don't know. I'll go with the over. What do you got on that? I, I think I'm going to go slightly under just because, like I said, it's it's not something that many quarterbacks do. And right. I, I don't know. I, if, if anything, though, I would take over on last year's total of five rushing TDs. And I'm kind of just banking on, you know, Mike Vrabel understanding the value of the QB dive after all that time <laughs> he spent with Tom Brady right. in New England. Like maybe right. there's something there. I mean, that's a total shot in the dark and a guess. But if he can do that with you know, 300 to 400 rushing yards. Like, that's a big boost to his fantasy value, even if he is only throwing, like, a league average 24, 25, 26 touchdowns. Um, you mentioned his trying to figure out who the alpha dog is in that receiver core, mm. and it seems like everybody in fantasy is is really assuming that the Corey Davis breakout is going to be a foregone conclusion, and they're really sleeping on Richard Matthews, in my mind. Yeah. On average, Davis is a sixth-round pick, and Matthews is a sixteenth-round pick in our uh, two-quarterback ADP. And those are for ten-team leagues where you know wide receivers pretty deep. It, it kind of makes sense that Matthews isn't a high pick, but I think comparatively the two are a little too far apart. What do you think? Are are people sleeping on Matthews? I mean, I could definitely see that. I think in terms of who might be the better value, I think Matthews certainly is because Davis to me is still very much 
up in the air in terms of, like you know what to expect from him. Obviously, he looked pretty good down the stretch, but I'm you know I'm not I'm still sort of wondering how the uh, the passing game you know like how it how it shakes out in terms of who gets the most targets in that passing game mm-hmm. because I don't think we really have any idea yet how like who's going to play what role and is is Lafleur going to kind of do the what the Rams did specifically last year, you know, where the Sammy Watkins role where like this, the X guy that stretches the field is kind of like a decoy, you know, like right. I, I'm a little bit worried that maybe that's what Davis could be. Maybe that's Matthews. Who knows? I'm not actually sure. Like that's what I'm kind of waiting to find out. But, um, you know, I, I had Matthews in 2016 and he probably, you know, he was like such a huge, huge piece for a couple of my teams in, in 2016 um, last year he wasn't quite as wasn't quite as good. I think he had a couple of injuries and things like that. But um, he's like a pretty underrated player in my mind. You know, very solid veteran. So I would say I would say yeah, people are definitely sleeping on Matthews at this point. Yeah, he's like the AFC Robert Woods to me in terms of fantasy. <laughs> yeah. and I mean well, it's, that's it's, a good that's a good comparison too because I mean does he play the Woods role in you know what the Rams offense was last year? Right, and I think that some of the production dip we saw from him was related to injury. If you look at um, what he did before he got hurt in Week 11, he was 26th among all wide receivers in PPR points. He was 23rd in air yards, about equal to Larry Fitzgerald's total at that point. Uh, 24th in target share in the same range as Golden Tate, T.Y. Hilton, Tyreek Hill, Marvin Jones. So they were using him a lot. Yeah, yeah, and then he got hurt. And that was when we saw Corey Davis uh, start to kind of be used more, uh, Eric Decker as well. And I think that's probably just because Matthews wasn't right. I mean, we, we talked about that last time with Derek Carr and trying to figure out how much of his struggles were related to that injury. I think Matthews, mm-hmm. we have to ask the same question. And if he's going 10 rounds later than Corey Davis on average, that's, I mean, that's a steal to me. Like I, he might, he might yeah. out-target Davis, no problem. I mean, even theoretically with Davis ascending into a larger role, I think Matthew's volume is still going to go up relative to last season because of, you know, all those opportunities he missed being hurt uh, because Eric Decker's gone, you know. So hopefully right. Matthews will get closer to that target total of 108 that he posted in 2016. Um, and I just really don't trust Taewon Taylor or Tajay Sharp to kind of pick up the slack in that receiver group. I think it's about Matthews, Davis, and the tight ends and, you know, mm. Deion Lewis out of the backfield. I think that's their offense. And, and I think that... When an offense is that narrow or that kind of predetermined, um, and, and again, I'm assuming a lot here, but I, I feel like those are their best players. Those are the guys who should see the bulk of the work, barring injury. I, I feel like those are actually good offenses to target because they're predictable week to week in fantasy, um, as opposed to a team like the Saints, like when you're trying to play bingo with their receivers <laughs> and say, oh, is this the week that right. Ted Ginn scores or Brandon Coleman or Cameron Meredith or you know whoever they have this year? It seems like the wide receiver core changes pretty constantly there but yeah I, I like that this Tennessee offense hopefully should ascend because of all the stuff we've already talked about but it'll also make sense week to week which guys you should be playing I think it'll yeah. be pretty apparent pretty quick yeah I was gonna ask you actually what do you think of the Dion Lewis Derrick Henry you know roles and and who's gonna have kind of the lead like what is what is their roles you think gonna shake out there is is Dion Lewis the the Todd Gurley you know in, in this LaFleur offense I don't I don't think so if I mean I doubt it I mean he could be don't get me wrong I just I see them having pretty relatively equal value they're just gonna get yeah. their points in different ways like Lewis is gonna be probably the guy they use 
most between the 20s and in passing downs. And every once in a while, Derrick Henry will score two or three touchdowns in a game. But, I mean, right. it's not like Lewis can't do that either. So it'll be really interesting to see. I don't have a good feel for that backfield. I've been kind of avoiding it in my draft mm. so far. I I would generally defer to taking the guy who's going later, and I think right now that's Lewis. People are still mm, very excited about Henry because he's the younger player, because he had so much hype coming out of college. And while I think he could deliver on that, I think that Lewis is just a more well-rounded player. He can play in more game scripts. Like if they're playing from behind, he can catch passes out of the backfield a little yep. you know, more yep. readily. And I think that that makes him probably the safer pick. Um, but week to week, I, you know, or if you're doing like a best ball draft where you really want big spike weeks, Henry might be the better play just because he's probably going to get more goal line work, or at least that's what I assume. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, both of those guys were pretty elusive last year, but I just, I'm kind of a Lewis fanboy. Last year, he was so, so good. Yeah. Uh, one of the most elusive running backs in the NFL. I mean, if you watched, uh, if you watched him specifically, like he was, he plays bigger than you think he is. Um, or he, he, he plays bigger than he is, I should say. He, he's more physical and, and tackle-breaking. He has better tackle-breaking ability than I think you, you realize. And so uh, I really thought he you know came into his own and showed that he can be a complete back last year. And so when I – you know I, I have Henry on one of my teams last year. I was thinking about keeping him. Uh, and now I'm like, okay, now the Lewis thing definitely kind of hurts that. And so uh, probably won't be keeping Henry. But, you know, it is kind of one of those things to watch how, how it shakes out. And health is obviously a big factor too. Yeah, I was going to say that's the other thing that we haven't really touched on. It's just Dion Lewis's history of not yeah. being able to stay on the field. And that right. is probably – I mean, that probably is another reason why Henry is getting picked first because he doesn't have that stigma attached to him. Yeah. Um, let's get back to QBs real quick, and, and we'll kind of rehash some some rookie talk that we did on the, the last episode. But which rookie quarterback do you think is going to have the hardest time seeing the field or staying on the field this season? So, yeah, and I think this probably changed since the first time we had this discussion. Good. Um, I And I'm kind of going with the Darnold thing. I think that Darnold will have the – right now it looks like he's got sort of the thickest path, the, the most – the hardest path to uh, being a starter as, as any of these quarterbacks, because I actually think, well, number one, I don't know, you know what, I, obviously I'm not a big Josh Allen guy, but I don't think that, you know, uh, AJ McCarron necessarily is going to be able to hold him off like for too long, or, or at least he's not going to give the team ample reason to keep Allen on the bench. I'll put it that way. Yeah. And then, I think Rosen will probably end up starting games this year, like just either whether it's from Bradford getting hurt or, you know, just lighting it up in practice or whatever. I could definitely see Rosen starting. And then I think same deal with Lamar Jackson. I just have zero faith that Flacco is going to have a good year. And, you know, the pressure is going to mount, you know, gradually over the year. Maybe it's like halfway through the year when, when, when it happens. But the Flacco thing to me is interesting because, of all those guys, he's the most entrenched. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's really going to take – I think it's going to take like either Flacco getting hurt or the, the Ravens have to make a big-ass decision and be like, okay, that's it. Like we're throwing in the towel. And it's kind of like got to be really all in on him in, in terms of all in on benching him and then this is us moving on. And, you know, so that's like obviously a big decision. So I would say Darnold first and then – Jackson, not necessarily because I think he's not good. You know, I do think he's really good, and I think he should be starting. But I think just Flacco's so entrenched, and there's the money factor, and and just the, you know, the Ravens are very 
um, I don't know what to call it, like conservative maybe is not the right word, but that's just kind of how like they operate. They're very much like even keeled and they're not going to, they're not going to make a rash decision. I don't think about that. Yeah. I talked about this with Chris Harris on the last episode. And the thing with Jackson is that if, if he is going to see the field for Baltimore, they would probably have to radically change their offense for that to make sense. Uh, Chris brought that, that point could be up. another factor. Yeah. And, it almost makes sense that if they are going to do that, they should do it right away. But like you said, Flacco's entrenched. He's won a Super Bowl. That could be a PR nightmare if they bench him too early, like before they're bad or before he <laughs> like gets Eli. hurt. Yeah, Eli's exactly. Thing last year, yeah. Just like Eli. Um, so I think that's. I think he's probably going to have the hardest time getting on the field for that reason. But I agree that like in terms of staying on the field, Darnold's probably the right pick because yeah. there is more legitimate competition there between. Uh, McCown and now apparently Bridgewater if, if you believe right. these reports that are coming out so um, yeah I, I don't know I, I think those are the two guys that you might want to avoid or, or not have high expectations for at least in yep. year one but you know if if Lamar Jackson gets on the field early like he could be awesome like that rushing production really translates to fantasy and that's what we look for um, do you have a favorite backup quarterback maybe somebody who oh, you think good question. would benefit from like a depth chart shakeup or a change of scenery in general Oh man. Um well, let, I should have should Let me go first. You. If you're Yeah, if, you go first. So I remain steadfast in my belief that Geno Smith should have closed out last season as the Giants starting quarterback. Speaking of Eli Manning, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that at that point in the season we saw that Eli Manning was not good or, or he had not been good that whole year. <laughs> right. And Geno's still a relatively young player for a quarterback. He never really got a fair shake as you know the the Jets QB, and I I really felt like this might have been his chance for a little bit of redemption. And I, right. I don't know, I, in a deeper two quarterback format, I like Geno as a potential stash. Now he's on the Chargers now. Um, in case you know thirty six year old Philip Rivers gets hurt or starts to wear down for some reason, right. but with Cardell Jones also on that roster, I think there's probably a fair chance that Geno will get cut. But um, he's he's one of my guys. The other one is is Chad Kelly. Uh, of the Broncos. Oh, and, that's that's a really interesting one, yeah. And the Broncos, you know, passing on quarterback in the draft really makes me think that they're comfortable either with Keenum or Kelly carrying that team because we know Paxton Lynch isn't the answer, right? And I think that maybe they've seen some stuff from Kelly, you know, either from college or from whatever limited practice and, and training camp they've had with him as he's recovering from injury. Like, I think there's there might be something there. So he's like yeah. a guy I'm intrigued about. But again, we've never seen him, so we don't really know how good he is. I'm just I'm keeping an eye on that. Yeah, there's definitely some whispers, I think, I've, I've seen on Twitter and just kind of heard people talking about, like, they're kind of high on him. And so, yeah, that's definitely a really interesting one. I mean, I'm, like, picking really low-hanging fruit here, but I do think what Nick Foles did last year was really fascinating mm-hmm. in, in terms of his ability to kind of run that offense, like, really well. And so I guess I kind of wonder what he would do as like a full-time starter, given the job built around, given an offense, kind of like what they did, you know, like if it was a really similar offense to what the the Eagles were able to do last year, you know, could Nick Foles be the guy that we thought he was going to be in 2012? Was it 2012 when he had the incredible year? Um, so I, 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 I don't guess, remember, yeah. yeah, I think it was 2012 and, and, and I don't know. I can't remember. I, I'm pretty sure it was 2012 anyway. So he was, uh, you know, obviously everyone thought he was like, like the second coming or he had like 28 touchdowns and two interceptions or something crazy. And so he hasn't looked like that guy since until basically the playoffs this year. 
And so I guess I'm just really curious to see like what he could do, you know, in, in given his own offense and things like that. But um, to answer your question, like I don't, I'm not really that high on, on any backup quarterbacks, to be honest. I think I guess you could talk you could talk about Jacoby Brissett being the backup in, in Indianapolis in theory. Mm-hmm. And I thought he definitely showed some things last year. You know, he was a, a very strong deep passer. And I think he's obviously, um, you know, got some wheels and he can do some things in the offense. And so, I don't know, I, I liked some of the things I saw from him. He was kind of frenetic at times, too. But, um, you know, he's the kind of guy that I think could develop. I don't know. Other than that, like. There, there aren't enough good quarterbacks is the real problem. <laughs> That's it's like kind of the thing is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. And so Landry it's, it, Jones does not move the needle for me like Matt Barkley. I'm just looking at some of these like backups like Brock Osweiler. No, Brian Hoyer. No. Yeah, and so you kind of have to pick those guys who you've seen flashes from. Like Geno Smith wasn't ever really great, but he had some good moments in certain games. And yeah, and, yeah. I mean, Chad Kelly. Has, like, how much preseason do you watch? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I watched I watched a lot of Seahawks preseason last year, and I have to say Austin Davis was actually pretty impressive. Austin Davis, I don't know anything about him. He he used to be on the Browns, right? He, he's kind of bounced around. He started out, let's see here, started out in St. Louis. Um, he went to Miami. He was back in St. Louis, Cleveland, Denver, and Seattle. So he's definitely bounced around. I think when Seattle picked him up, he was a street free agent too, like he was like selling insurance or something. But um, I mean, for being a, a journeyman backup who never really developed, uh, he. You know, he was he played pretty well. He was like really confident. He had like incredible numbers in the preseason last year. And so, um I think he's kind of an interesting guy. Not like I think he's necessarily going to be a starter or whatever, but um it was pretty interesting. But I mean, for a, like a, a dynasty football league, there is value to be had here because you look at a guy like Case Keenum who kind of came out of nowhere. Like everybody kind of thought he was dead in the water last season oh, when he took totally. over and because of that system that he was in, this is very similar to what happened with Foles, because the team was good around him and they played to his strengths, They it, it was able to work. And yeah. it'll be interesting to see if he can hold off Chad Kelly and kind of continue that forward momentum of his career in Denver. But if you can identify these types of players ahead of time and just stash them on your dynasty rosters or at least know who they are and, and know... It, I guess it is more about knowing the situations of, of right. the teams, like the, the infrastructure that these guys are coming into. So maybe the question isn't which QB do you like the most, it's which teams do you like the most, which one, which teams are best supported to <laughs> you know, support a, a young yeah. or, or previously poor quarterback. And I, I don't know. I mean, that's something that, I mean, it, it seems like you kind of have to wait till it happens before you can believe in it because – Again, like you look at no these guys, one last right? Year. You you look at yeah. these guys play without that sort of infrastructure, and they look terrible. Right. No yeah. one would have guessed Keenum or Foles. I mean, it was such a crazy ass year in, in in that sense. And I was just looking at Davis's numbers. He was twenty four or thirty five for three hundred sixteen yards, two touchdowns, and one hundred and fifteen rating in the preseason. Obviously, it's preseason, <laughs> but I mean, I'm like, I remember being like, wow, this guy actually is like slinging it. Um, you know. Preseason doesn't mean anything necessarily, but it was pretty funny. I was not expecting that. Yeah, that's interesting. All right, um, let's keep going. Let's talk about defense. And this is something that I asked you last time, but I'm going to ask it again. Which teams do you think improve the most on defense through the draft? Or maybe we could just say through the offseason. And if you want to touch on any team that 
improve their pass defense specifically, I think that could be helpful because that you know that'll help us identify matchups that are potentially bad for our fantasy quarterbacks. Do any do any of these teams stand yeah. out to you on the defensive side of the ball? Well, I mean, I think from a fantasy point of view, uh, I think the days of the Buccaneers being like the must start team uh, if you're going against their defense might be coming to an end. Not they're not. I don't necessarily think they're going to be like a great defense next year. But I do think the Buccaneers improved in a lot of ways where they really needed to in, in terms of their pass rush was atrocious last year. It was non-existent. I think it was easily the worst in the NFL. And then they went out and got Jason Pierre-Paul, Vinnie Curry. They get Noah Spence back, and then they drafted Vita Via in the first round. I think that it's going to be interesting watching what Vita Via and Gerald McCoy can do next to each other. Um, plus, they, they added a little bit of depth on, the, on their uh, defensive line with Mitch on Ryan and, and Bo Allen. Um, and then their first couple of defensive, well, there's their second, their two second rounders were both corners too, and I think both of those guys could end up playing early on. Carlton Davis probably, he might actually start. I don't, well, we'll see how it goes. Obviously, there's a lot of a lot of time until the season starts, but um, I could see him kind of being a guy that factors early on because he's sort of what they've been missing in the sense that he's a big physical press corner. And when you're playing in the NFC South, that's important because there's a lot of really big, you know, physical receivers, you know, that you have to match up with. And so he could be a kind of guy that that matchups wise creates some issues or not necessarily creates some issues, but it makes them a little bit better than what they were last year. Because I remember whenever you have Tampa Bay on your on your schedule for one of your guys, it's like, OK, this is good. This is going to be awesome because. You know, they just gave up tons and tons of yards, tons of, tons of touchdowns. And so um, I liked what they did in their draft particularly. But, you know, I, I, it's funny because I wrote about the, the Tampa Bay Bucks and, and I got a whole bunch of people being like, oh, God, not again. Like every year, <laughs> you know, every year we kind of hype them up and then they don't deliver. But, I mean, I don't know. I'm just looking at, looking at it on paper, I, I liked what they did. I've got some Tampa Bay hype later in the show, but we'll, we'll save that for now. Um, what do you think about what the Packers did? Because they spent two picks in the top 50 on cornerbacks. They got Jair. Is it Jair or Jair Alexander? Uh, I think Jair. I'm Jair. Not sure, but, yeah. yeah. Josh Jackson. And then they spent their third-round pick on a linebacker, Oren Burks. Um, I, again, I don't know a whole lot about these guys coming out of college, so I'm, I'm leaning on your wisdom here. Do you know anything about these players, and do you expect the Packers' past defense to be you know, significantly improved because of them? Yeah, I think they could be. Um, I like both of those guys, actually. I like Josh Jackson, I think, more than the NFL did because I think a lot of people expected him to go in the first round, you know, based on his numbers in college. You know, he he was a you know, ball hawk. He had a whole bunch of picks and a whole bunch of passes defense last year. And they tested him a lot. Like, he got targeted a ton. Um, and so he, he really did well to hold his own in, in terms of what he was, how much he was targeted. But then he went in the second round, which was a little bit of a surprise. Regardless, I do think he could be an early player for them. It kind of depends on what happens with Kevin King because Kevin King had a, not a very good rookie year, and so there's going to be some competition there. I think that Jair Alexander is just what they need in the slot. You know, he's super fast, super, super athletic and aggressive and, and a physical kind of like confident player. And so obviously, I mean, every time you have young corners playing early on, uh, it's kind of hit. I think it tends to be hit or miss. Like not everybody can be Marshawn Lattimore mm-hmm. in their first year, um, but I do think Alexander is what they need because they really didn't have a slot after uh, they traded uh, Demaris Randall, I believe. And so um, they kind of just went into the draft like needing to get some corners, and they and they did it. So that was really good. 
I do think that they got better. So, uh, you know, they've got some talent. They've got some guys that are really interested in terms of, you know, Josh Jones flashed a little bit last year at safety, and so he was kind of interesting. But, he's, you know, again, he kind of took his lumps here and there. And they got uh, Tremont Williams back, and so he had some experience to that group. Uh, hopefully Kevin King can make a jump. It's kind of like you have to you have to project where this defense is going to be. And obviously Muhammad Wilkerson, if he can provide some pass rush, that will help a lot because their pass rush wasn't where it needed to be. So, I mean, yeah, if some things happen, if like all those things kind of fall where you, where you can pencil it in to fall, then, yeah, they'll be a lot better. But, you know, that's obviously a big if. Did any team stand out to you in terms of failing to address problems on defense? Um. So let's see. I made a list. I mean, I, I don't know, you know, what the Lions were doing. I'm going to pull up their their draft here real quick. Um, you know, obviously their defense wasn't great, and then they picked two offensive players in the first two rounds. Um, I don't know if any of their guys are necessarily going to start early on. And so you kind of question kind of what's going on with the Lions on defense next year. And obviously they play in a really, really tough division for you know against quarterbacks whether there's gonna be a lot of good quarterbacks in that division obviously um you know with the vikings getting kirk cousins that's a big deal and and aaron Rodgers is gonna be back so i don't know if they did enough to like improve their defense like i'm kind of wondering you know what they're really what their plan is and and maybe obviously with uh with patricia in there it's it's a multi-year plan so they might you know it might take a little while to to get it all together what they want to run but um, they kind of stood out to me as a team that didn't necessarily do enough on defense over the offseason. Um, on the other side of the ball, that might actually spell good things for Matthew Stafford if they have to constantly be throwing and constantly be trying to run up the score to keep up with their bad defense. That's kind of been a totally. a, you know, a constant for Detroit's D for many years at this point, and kind of like the Saints before that. Um, that, that could be something to key in on. And I, I think that Stafford is... Definitely seen a little bit more hype, you know, in recent weeks, Um, not just based upon that, but just kind of based upon him being an old reliable at this point in terms of fantasy production. Um, But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Did did you have another team? I'm sorry, I kind of jumped in on you. Oh, no, that's fine. I think, you know, obviously you have questions. I still have questions about the Steelers defense and what they're going to do, you know, at linebacker and at safety. Obviously they took uh, Terrell Edmonds in the first and then – Marcus Allen in the fifth. I'm just looking at their pick, their picks now, but I don't know. It's just one of those things where they, they have a really really strong defensive line, but there's still there's still quite a few question marks in the, in the middle of their defense and in the secondary. So um, I guess you have to expect that Edmonds is going to play early and often. Obviously, getting Morgan Burnett was helpful, but um, you know the the general consensus was that Terrell, Terrell Edmonds was not a first rounder. So we'll see you know whether you know that is right or not, but. Um, it, it kind of felt like they, they reached a lot on that. And so he might not be an early early contributor for them. And so that was another one that kind of stood out to me. I, th- I think when you look at the Jets draft, obviously I really liked the Darnold thing, but then they didn't pick again until the third round. And so they didn't, I don't think they got really a, many impact, early impact players for this year on their defense. And again, it's like that defense didn't have a pass rush you know the the linebacker crew is kind of questionable obviously they got a guy in free agency um but uh avery williamson is the guy i was looking for but yeah so i don't know it, i didn't really like the the jets draft after darnold either how about along the offensive line which team do you think gained the most up front 
Uh, let's see. That's a good question. So, like, Indianapolis spent two picks in the top 40 on their O-line. They got Quentin Nelson and Braden Smith. Oakland also spent two picks in the top 70 on their offensive line, Colton Miller and Brandon Parker. But those picks were pretty yeah. wide, widely panned by draft yeah. picks, so I'm not going to read too much into that. Uh, the Rams and Ravens each spent three different picks on linemen, uh, but all of those picks were made at, you know, pick 83 or later. So it's like they, they kind of took a shotgun spread approach to the position there. <laughs> right. um, those, those are the teams that seem to at least focus on it the most in the draft, but I don't yep, know if that yep. necessarily means that any one of them is the answer. I mean, Indy seems like the safe answer just based that's upon the, the capital and the with. guy they yeah, got. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the clear, in my mind, that was a big deal for them too, because. You know, if you're getting if you're getting Andrew Luck back this year, uh, you know that's still an unknown, I guess, at this point. But it seems as though he's on track, or at least the team is saying he's on track to play again this year. And you have to protect him. And so, I think they were really, really stoked to get Quentin Nelson. I think he's going to be really good. Like, you know, it's always dangerous to call someone a safe pick, but he really seems like a safe early starter type, Zach Martin type guy. Like, just plug him in there, and he'll he'll be really good for you. And so. I really like the Quentin Nelson pick. Um, and then going with another, you know, versatile guy like Braden Smith in, in the second round where he can, he could probably play either tackle or guard. Uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see kind of how that shakes out. But I do think that they got significantly better on their offensive line. I think the Giants actually got really, you know, made a significant jump on their offensive line over the offseason too. Obviously, you know, I, I, you can complain about how much they gave Nate Solder in free agency, and that's definitely understandable, but he's a starting caliber left tackle, and I think that's really important. They needed the help. <laughs> yeah, they definitely did. I really liked Will Hernandez, and so he, they picked him in the second round. I think that's going to be good for them. And so they really you know, uh, fortified and strengthened that left side, which is important. And so um, that could you know, kind of have a big impact on how Eli Manning does this year in terms of just give him another half second to throw the ball, and that could be helpful. So, um, you know, plus plus the addition of Saquon Barkley, obviously, in, in terms of what he can do in the passing game too. So, uh, yeah, it was, I like what the, the Giants did also on their offensive line. So speaking of the Giants, I'm going to ask you a loaded question here, and we did this last time. Which rookie running back do you think is going to catch the most passes this season? <laughs> I think Barkley is gonna, and because correct, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, obviously they they vacated. There's like a whole bunch of I had the numbers in front of me before, but they 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 lost. Oh, here it is. Uh, Shane Vereen and, and Gallman combined for 101 targets last year, and then when you add in Darkwa, there's another 28. So there's there's a whole bunch of um, you know vacated production that he's probably gonna get the vast majority of. Right, they're gonna use him early on, like, and he's a very versatile guy it sounds like they're already lining him up all over the the formation in otas and so there's definitely some excitement there i think you know don't overthink it he's he's going to be used in all aspects of their offense that's there's a reason they took him there and so uh the easy answer yeah is barkley yeah i I bring it up because it's it's not always necessarily a good sign or a bad sign for a quarterback when you have a running back that catches a, a lot of passes like that, at least from a rookie. Now, if you look at the guys who led running backs in receptions last year, it was Le'Veon Bell, Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, Duke Johnson, and Todd Gurley. Four of those five guys were, you know, had top 12 quarterback play, Roethlisberger, Breeze. Newton and Goff and Duke Johnson and Deshaun Kaiser were the only pair that, you know, didn't see a whole lot of uh, production from the QB position. If you look at uh, notable rookie running backs related to their quarterback finish, 
Kareem Hunt had 53 catches. Uh, that was the 11th most among running backs. He finishes the RB3, and Alex Smith finishes the QB4. But then you go to the next guy down the list, Tariq Cohen, 13th in the league among running backs with 53 catches, but Mitchell Trubisky was only the QB 28. So Hmm. sometimes I feel like you can see these patterns emerge where, yes, if you have a a running back who is a a prolific pass catcher, that can be a good sign for your quarterback. But I'm worried that because of who Eli Manning is at this stage in his career, that maybe Saquon Barkley is going to be more of a like a release valve, kind of like Duke Johnson right. or Tariq Cohen, than right. some piece that's going to save the offense. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I think you know it's, it's going to be telling early on, kind of how they use him and all that. Um, so Mike Shula is their offensive coordinator. I'm kind of just trying to remember exactly how they used how Shula used uh, Christian McCaffrey last year. I think it evolved over the year. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, they might just have to feel it out. But I agree. I mean, it's kind of like, is he is he going to be a mismatch guy, like a, quote, you know, chess piece? I know that's something I use. I, I People kind of pan that. But I do still like it because, um, you know, you're using that guy to create mismatches and, and use him as, like, a primary target in the passing game. Are they going to do that? Or are they going to just, like you said, like, everybody go deep oh no one's open so we'll dump it off to you and, and do what you can do and then you gain like four yards or whatever so it'll be interesting to see how they use them did any teams offseason kind of signal a shift in offensive philosophy to you um, we <clears throat> talked about tennessee moving away from exotic smash mouth but are there any other teams that stand out to you that that might be drastically different maybe in terms of like run to pass ratio and what we can expect like in terms of volume for their players yeah i mean you know, the obvious answer is the Seahawks going back to their run hard, which I think is definitely going to happen. Um, they were one of the worst running teams in the NFL last year. And, and really going back two years, they've been really bad at running. And so this offseason, they added DJ Fluker, who was a good run blocker last year, terrible pass blocker. Um, you know, they slated him. I think he, he slates in as the starter at right guard. They went and got... Uh, Ed Dixon, the tight end from Carolina, who mm-hmm. I think is more—he's more—he's not necessarily a run blocker, but he's more known as a blocking tight end. And they and they drafted Will Disley in in the draft, and he's obviously a good run. Uh, that's he's more well known as a, a blocking tight end. So they loaded up on tight ends, and they obviously drafted Rashad Penny in the first round. And so I really see them, and it, basically it's just like a an onslaught of rhetoric about about getting balanced again this offseason <laughs> out of Seattle, and so. I really do think that they're going to do that. You mentioned it earlier. Uh, Bram Marshall's a very good run-blocking receiver also. That's probably a big reason they want him over Des Bryant, honestly. And so I just think philosophically, Pete Carroll, it must have been eating him alive that they couldn't run last year. <laughs> and so I can just see them like heavily overreacting back in the other direction this year. That's why Brian Schottenheimer's there, to run the ball. What do you think about what's going on in Washington? Like They, they traded for Alex Smith. Uh, you know they bring in Darius guys, Darius guys, <laughs> bring in Darius guys through the draft. I mean, this all would seem to point towards a more conservative offense in my mind. But they also have Paul Richardson, who's a pretty good field stretcher. I, I don't really mm. know exactly what they plan to do. Like, what what do you think? <laughs> yeah. Let me put it this way too. What do you think they're best suited to do? Should they be playing more conservative, or should they be trying to stretch the field and and, and be a little bit more aggressive on offense? Well, I mean, the easy answer is they should try and do exactly what the Chiefs did last year mm-hmm. because Alex Smith had a career year in that offense, and he obviously felt really comfortable in it. I think if they try and change 
what he did and ask more of what you know more of him than what he was kind of asked of last year obviously you know he was a very good deep passer last year that wasn't the case in in most years earlier in his career and so um if they can kind of recreate you know some of the things that they did what like we call it the hybrid west coast offense or whatever uh-huh. um where they're using jordan reed kind of like the travis kelsey uh they're using you know paul richardson kind of i don't know if he's he's not he's obviously not um He's not a Tyreek Hill speedster type of guy, but he can stretch the field. So maybe they use him in that way. And so I think if you try and recreate kind of what they did, obviously I think Darius Geis actually is a pretty good guy, like target to compare to uh, what Kareem Hunt did in terms of his ability to break tackles. Is there, you know, he's probably going to win the starting job outright, I would assume. And so, yeah, I mean, there's some similarities there. I think if they just kind of go with – if they take some of the concepts of what the Chiefs did last year, I think that could really help them a lot. I, I, mean, I think Jay Gruden's a good play caller, and you know, generally he's a good offensive coordinator. But I think they need to borrow some Smith's like top plays and, and really install them, make him as comfortable as possible. Because if they try and change everything, you know, he could revert into the really, really passive um, checkdown guy that he was kind of earlier in his career. Yeah, I'm I'm worried about that too. And I actually I agree with you about Gruden. I think that he's he doesn't get enough credit for how you know functional that offense was. Like I think Kirk Cousins is a little bit overrated, and Gruden's play calling is a little underrated. And I, <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't like to necessarily give too much credit to coaches, but I, I do think that there's something there with that. And hopefully he can take you know like you said what Smith does well and amplify that as opposed to helping him revert back to the player he was before. Um, we're just over, we're running up close to an hour here. I want to close it down with a few just ADP positional battles. These are guys that oh, are interesting. Okay. in our mock drafts are being drafted pretty close together. And I'm just curious which which you would take of these options and maybe just from a fantasy sense, but also which player you like more um, mm, from like a football perspective. And the first pair I'm going to throw at you are Adam Thielen and Allen Robinson. These guys are going around the end of the fourth round. Oh, man. What do you think about these two? Because I think it's an interesting comparison. That's really tough, honestly. Um, I lean Thielen because Allen Robinson, number one, is coming off an injury, and so we don't really know exactly how that's going to go. I don't think he's even on the field yet, or at least if he is, he's just getting back on the field. Um, the other thing is obviously a question mark of, of – you know, his chemistry with Trubisky and the offense and how that all goes. I just think Thielen really established himself as a baller last year. I really, really like him. And so I would lean Thielen, but Allen Robinson also has, I think, probably higher, potentially higher touchdown value just based on, you know, he, he's a big, big play threat. He obviously at one couple years ago tied for the league lead in touchdowns. It's obviously a really variable stat, but, um, I don't know. I would I would lean Thielen. Who who do you pick on that? Yeah, I, the, there are a couple cruxes that this kind of hinges on for me. And the first is is Stephon Diggs going to stay healthy the whole year right. and, and siphon more targets from Thielen because he really got peppered last season. And I, I don't know if he can maintain that volume this year. I think there's some amount of regression there, but it might not be enough to make it that big of a difference. And the other is, is you alluded to it. How is Robinson going to look post injury? How's he going to adapt to the new quarterback in the scheme? there in Chicago like I think those are big enough question marks that I'm kind of with you like when like gun to my head I probably would take Thielen but I I I want to gamble on the younger player in Robinson and you know kind of based on some theoretical assumption of upside 
and and because Thielen, I think, is poised for some amount of regression, but we just don't know enough about Robinson at this point. I don't feel I don't feel good about taking him in that spot. So I'm with you. I, I think it's close, and I think I would just barely lean Thielen, but I wouldn't fault anybody for taking a Rob. Uh, next one is quarterbacks: Dak Prescott or Jameis Winston. These guys, according to our ADP, are going around the end of the seventh round. I, I have a feeling once drafts start to ramp up closer to the season, these quarterbacks are going to move up, but um. What, what do you think about these two guys? I would definitely lean Winston, but then again, I guess Prescott has sort of the rushing upside, so I don't know. But I, I would I would lean Winston. I think that he could make a big jump this year. Here we go um, again. <laughs> every time, man. <laughs> uh, it's true though. I think you know, obviously, his weapons are vastly superior to that what the Cowboys have, and I think that the the Buccaneers are going to pass a lot more than the the Cowboys so you know the the tiebreaker obviously is what Prescott can do on the ground so I don't, I don't really know you know because but based on the second last second half of last year Prescott really really struggled and now he's got a whole bunch of new receivers and there's just a lot of question marks around that I think that Winston you know he's got really really good weapons and they ask him to do a lot that they, they haven't passed quite a bit and so I, I don't know I would just I would lean Winston off the top of my head but I'm not looking at, I'm not looking at numbers from last year, so I could it could be off. Tell me what I'm if I'm missing anything. Though. No, I, I think you're spot on. I think it's Winston all day to be honest, and I don't think it's that close for me at this point. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's it's kind of a small sample size, but if you look at last year in the games where Winston played, but Ryan Fitzpatrick didn't. So basically, if you throw out all the games that Winston either missed or left early due to injury, he averaged 19.6 fantasy points per game. Or 19.1 if you want to throw out Week 17 where he was like the QB4. He had a really good final week of the season. Mm. Okay. And so if we include Week 17 performances, that 19.6 points per game would have ranked fifth among quarterbacks. And even wow. if we even if we exclude Week 17 performances, that 19.1 points per game would have ranked sixth among QBs. So, I mean, interesting. that's a super small sample size. And we got to be careful when we start to pick out stats like that because uh, I didn't necessarily look at – you know, which teams he was playing in those weeks where he was healthy. But I, I feel like he's he doesn't have it quite enough hype considering how good he was when healthy last season. And I, I know that Prescott adds something with his legs, but I'm with you. There are just way too many question marks about his receivers, you know, and Winston still has very good receivers. Mike Evans, Deshaun Jackson, Chris Godwin in year two. I, I think that there's a lot to like about Jameis. He's going to be a really nice value just because there are so many good QBs. Like, I feel like you can pass on the Staffords, the Roethlisbergers, the Matt Ryans, and the discount that you get on Winston, even if he's not quite as good as those guys. And, and he, I, I think that it's still worth it because he could be as good as those guys. We don't know. There, there's that variance kind of built in. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, the other thing is <clears throat> you didn't even talk about Cameron Brayton, O.J. Howard. Those two guys oh, yeah. could end up being good. You know, and Chris Godwin is coming up, I think. He's kind of an emerging player too. So, I mean, they just got they're really deep there. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just looking at Mike Evans' numbers. He only had five touchdowns last year, which I think he's a positive regression guy too. And For so, sure. um, yeah, I would definitely lean towards Winston. All right, let's go to running backs. I'm going to go, I'm going to throw three at you. These guys were all going around the beginning of the eighth round in our mock drafts. It's Dion Lewis, who we talked about earlier, Tevin Coleman, and the rookie Royce Freeman on Denver. Mm-hmm. I would I would probably man, this is tough too because I would probably go Lewis. First, just based on his production and what he did last year, he was really, really good. I know that changes as he goes to a new team, but um, and then I think 
I would I I would maybe take a chance on Freeman because he could emerge as kind of the bell cow there mm-hmm. in, in Denver. Obviously, he has to beat out Devontae Booker, but I don't know what Booker's really shown recently. I think there's just some upside to Freeman that I really like. I think Coleman's still going to be splitting carries and, and playing a secondary role. And I mean, obviously, like we talked about earlier, like Lewis, we we still haven't really figured out kind of the rotation with Lewis and Derrick Henry, so. Um, I'm tempted to say Freeman if you're, you know, at the eighth round, that might be kind of a good upside pick. But, you know, if you're being conservative, I would say Lewis. I don't, but you know, again, I don't really know what to expect from Coleman either. So yeah, it comes, it comes down to Lewis and Freeman for me too. And I, I actually would take Freeman, and, and maybe this is foolish of me to say about a rookie I've never actually seen play, but I think that he has that better shot at a workhorse role, like he did it in college. Mm-hmm. They, they drafted him relatively high. I don't think Devontae Booker has shown us anything. And right. yeah, I, I think we're on the same page here. Lewis is maybe a safer pick because we've seen him do it before, but I, I would take the gamble on Freeman at this point. I mean, maybe the, the preseason and offseason reports will change my mind, but for now I'd, I'd go with the rookie. Um, yeah. Let's go to tight end next. Jimmy Graham or Kyle Rudolph. These guys are going around the beginning of the 10th round. We talked a little <laughs> bit about Graham earlier. Yeah. So Graham is definitely, I, I would assume he's probably again going to be kind of touchdown dependent, but I would lean Graham because I think he's a really good mix with with Aaron Rodgers. I think he's going to be a big red zone target for them. I think Rodgers is the kind of guy that will throw it up and really trust him and um, you know put it out of the reach of the the defender. So I, I'm expecting Graham to have a pretty solid year again. I don't know if he's going to have a ton of yards, but I do think that they're probably going to make him a pretty big uh, you know factor in that passing game. They're, I wonder because I really, really love to be a fly on the wall. Um, from when like the McCarthy or whoever met with him and told him like what he's going to be in this offense because yeah. he hated he hated well he didn't really ever say it but without saying it he hated Seattle's offense like they tried to make him be a blocker like they tried to you know have him line up in line a whole bunch it was really weird and I think my my guess is he he went out into free agency was like okay I need to get onto a team that's going to use me as what I'm supposed to be used and I I you know I just keep picturing like a Jermichael Finley type of role for him where, where he's really more of a receiver. He's lining up in the slot every time I could see that. I could see Aaron Rodgers really leaning on him. So I don't know. Like Graham obviously slowed down a little bit over the years, but I still think he's a very dangerous red zone threat. So I would, I would give him the edge on that. Yeah. I think Rudolph feels like the safer pick, like you said, just cause he won't necessarily be quite as touchdown dependent and he'll still give you yeah, an, enough yeah. touchdowns in theory. And I, and I like that Kirk Cousins has some background throwing to the tight end with Vernon Davis and Jordan Reed in Washington. So, like, that, that's, that's definitely interesting, yeah. That's something that I'm, I'm curious to see if that translates to a new team. But considering how Aaron Rodgers was able to, we talked about this before, like kind of prop up Jordy Nelson over the past couple of years with those, you know, only where he can catch it type of throws, I'm right. pretty excited to see Rodgers work with Graham in the red zone just because of his Absolutely. size and because of, you know, that pinpoint accuracy. Like, he could score 12 touchdowns, and that might just be good enough to, you know, make him the tight end three or something. Who knows? And I'm yeah, willing to yeah. chase that sort of touchdown upside just because the tight end position in fantasy is so volatile in the first place. Like, I want guys who are going to score. And it seems like, based upon everything we know about the Packers offense and everything we know about Graham, that he's going to be that type of player. So I'm with you. Uh, wide receivers, Michael Crabtree or Jamison Crowder. These guys are going a little <laughs> bit later in the middle of the 10th round. This is another tough one. Uh, let's see. I'm just trying to picture what Alex Smith would be like with Jamison Crowder. 
or how about Michael Crabtree with Joe Flacco? We haven't seen either of these guys know, with these right? with these passers before. It's it's they're totally unique uh, situations. I think I trust. I think I trust Crowder and the Redskins more. So or and Alex Smith more. So I'm going with Crowder, but Crabtree definitely would have more like red zone value. At it, I would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's kind of a toss up, but I would probably lean Crowder. I think this is the first one where we're, we're barely going to disagree. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think that, you know, you're right. Crowder does have some potential chemistry with the dump off master, Alex Smith, but we right. don't know if Alex Smith is really that guy anymore based upon what we saw last season. I, I just like Crabtree more as a player. I like what he does on the field a little bit more than Crowder. Um, again, for that touchdown upside. And I'm not really excited about him catching passes from Joe Flacco, but with that said, <laughs> right, yeah. I think Flacco's skill set would seem to line up well with where Crabtree operates on the field, if that makes sense. Yep, yep. So that makes sense. I mean, it's close. You, I mean, it depends yeah, on what kind of player you're looking for. If I'm you're not in the, like feeling passionately about Crowder at this point over Crabtree, but yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're in a PPR league, I could definitely see with going with Crowder just based upon that type of offense but again if they're playing more conservative with those dump off type of plays like i don't know if that's necessarily good for their offense as a whole so uh, yeah it's that's a tough one i don't i don't really feel good about going either way but i I would lean crabtree just because of the type of player he is all right one more uh going back to running backs (laughs) gonna throw three at you again marshawn lynch isaiah crowell or rex burkhead these guys are going down around the beginning of the 13th round in our mocks. I guess is Lynch falling because of Doug Martin or because people don't have any faith that he'll stay healthy? I'm, I'm kind of curious about that. I, I would lean Lynch on this because I think the Patriots' backfield is crowded. You know, they've got um, they got Sonny Michelle, and then obviously uh, Jeremy Hill is there now too. And so... I guess you could make the argument that he'll, he'll be the pass catching back, and, and that's kind of where he offers the upside. But um, James White is still there too, so I don't know. I, it's just hard for me to get on the Rex Burkhead bandwagon this early, based on just kind of how crowded it is there in, in New England. Uh, and you can make the same sort of argument about the Jets' backfield. There's just a lot of guys there, so I would lean Lynch. Yeah, I think that the reason he's being quote-unquote disrespected like this is for all those reasons you mentioned the fact that they brought in doug martin the question marks we have about what john gruden is going to do with that team in general and the fact that he couldn't really stay healthy he's getting a little long in the tooth like lynch is (laughs) a a risky play i I mean the real question might be why is isaiah crowell even being drafted around these guys at all it's it seems (laughs) really strange for him to be that high up I, I, I mean, I guess it's not that high, but why these other guys are being considered in the same breath. For me, I, I don't know. Like, I I would actually prefer Burkhead. I know that he is facing those timeshare concerns, but he's in the better offense. But mm-hmm. maybe I'm reading too much into what happened with the Raiders last year. You know, the struggles they had up front on the offensive line, the injury concerns that we had with Derek Carr or, you know, how that affected his performance. Like, maybe that whole team is due for some amount of a bounce back and... If that happens, then yeah, he could very well be the guy. I think it's pretty close. I would lean Burkhead just for the offense. Like I, I want the Patriots player more than I want the Raiders player, and that's that's about the only <laughs> yeah. reason. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I'm out. Of, I'm out of stuff, man. Um, <laughs> thank you very much for, for all the time, Danny. What do you got going on? Uh, I, I mentioned that article you dropped at the Ringer today about contract year players, but um, what else can people look forward to? Uh, where else can they find you on social media and all that good stuff? 
Uh, you can find me at Danny B. Kelly on Twitter and obviously at The Ringer. Um, every once in a while, I think we're doing every two weeks now, we're doing the, in the summer, we're doing the NFL show on The Ringer, uh, podcast network. Uh, the G, we'll, we're alternating with GM Street. So, uh, Maze, Kevin, and I sometimes uh, every other week. And then, uh, obviously, uh, and I'm Tate and Tate and, uh, Lombardi. <laughs> God, I'm having a terrible time with names. Um, anyways. Yeah, so so we've been alternating in the off season, so that's been fun. Um, and then I, I think next, I think this is gonna drop on Friday. I'm doing an article, just kind of a quick hitter on some of the guys that could have last shot seasons or slash bounce back season potential. So like actually, Doug Martin, you know, he's been drawing rave reviews at uh, at the Raiders OTAs, which is kind of interesting to me. Like if he if he gets some of that burst back, like he could be. Kind of a guy that could could do some stuff, but you never really know. So guys like that, I'm I think talk about like Tavon Austin. Like, are we gonna actually expect anything from him in Dallas? That's the question. So something like that uh, on Friday. All right, cool. I'm looking forward to that. Well, thanks again for for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time, and hope to get you on again later uh, at some point, maybe during the season or, or after that. But um. Listeners, if you want to give feedback to the show, you can hit us up on social media or by email at uh, 2QBs on Twitter, 2QBs at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to send a longer form email, in both cases, you got to spell that out. It's T-W-O-Q-B-S. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Rate and review it if you haven't already. That stuff really helps me out. Otherwise, we're just going to keep on trying to sift through this this noise that we get through OTAs and the preseason will be here before we know it. Um, until then, uh, have a good one and we'll catch you next time. Adios. Adios.